All right, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'm going to open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as your people um, and the opportunity to learn and study your word. And today as we uh, start a discussion about uh, work and vocation um, in our lives, I pray that you would um, help uh, me to be able to articulate those things well, and that this would be something that would be beneficial and um, helpful for everybody here, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, bless our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, over the next few weeks, we're going to cover the topic of, well, let me first say, in case you're wondering why I have a black eye, I didn't get in a fight, a pool toy got thrown my direction and I didn't see it coming, and so... That's that's the result. Um, so uh, we're going to be going over work and vocation in the Christian life. Um, this this will be familiar to some of you, as you know. I taught a similar series about five years ago. Um, but my goal is that um, that this will be a useful series for everybody here um, to help better understand. Um, their work in God's plan for them, that they'd be encouraged about their work and challenged to glorify God through their work. And I'm convinced that this is a topic that is applicable to everybody, whether you're um, retired or you stay home or have a traditional sort of uh, work um, in an office or, or something else, or you're a student. Um, in each of those areas, we are, we're doing work. Um, that God has for us. And um, you may not struggle right now with, um, with your particular uh, area of work, but I am sure that at some point in your life you will, and you're around people that do. And so hopefully this will um, be a helpful series to kind of look at what Scripture tells us about work, what God has to say about it, and, um, and that it will be beneficial for you in that way. So this morning, I want to talk about um, what we're going to go over the next few weeks, um, how we're going to approach the topic, and then um, we'll get into the question of God's design for our work. So, so I guess, um, what are some of the things that you think it would be helpful for us to look at if we're thinking about work in the life of a Christian, um, and this is a, a real question, so I'm soliciting feedback here, um, what do you think would be helpful for us to look, look at when we think about work in the life of a Christian? Sure, the, the practical aspects of, you know, how, do we use, how does the gospel affect our work and sharing our faith with those around us? Sorry. With the risk of, you know, possibly losing our job, not yeah. yeah, there's lots of practical considerations that go into that. Um, what else? Mark? I think it would be good to look at the concept of contentment, knowing that God has put us where we are, whether or not it reconciles with our lofty expectations and just understanding that. We are with God. Right. And hopefully, um, you know, as we go through these lessons, you'll see the practicalness of this type of a topic. Because today, you know, we're going to talk about 
God's design for work. And that has a great deal of application to something like being content in your work and recognizing it as something that God has designed for us and not something that we just have to suffer through. So, yep. Uh, I would like to learn about some biblical examples of saints Sure. So, biblical examples of work. Um, and we'll, we'll cover a little bit of that today just in the example that God gives us in work and giving man work in the very beginning. So, I mean, I think those are all great things. I think that this le- these lessons will touch on all of those. Um, you know, some of the things that I think about when I think about work in this context is, you know, what does God have to say about work? You know, why is work difficult and challenging? Um, why do we find our identity in our work so much? Um, you know, t- we often tie work to our purpose in life. Um, work often exposes our idols, you know, what's really important to us. Um, and the world has to say a lot about work. I mean, we do, you know, if, if you have a, you know, a traditional job, you're doing that more than pretty much anything else in your life. So, um, but I think all these are good reasons for us to investigate what God has to say about this topic. Um, and you, everyone here, I'm sure, has heard people in the church use the term worldview. Um, and usually it's, you know, juxtaposed against something else like secular humanism or uh, postmodern worldview. Um, but that's kind of what we're doing here is we're taking, we're looking at, you know, what is our view of how the world is or, and how it should be? And is, are we looking at that from a biblical perspective? Are we looking at it from a way that God does. And so um, we want to have a view of work that is true, that accurately reflects how things really are um, and how God has designed them and um, what his plan is for us right now um, as we go about our work. So um, the first step you know, ought to be for us to look at God's word and see what, um, what it tells us about work. And for Christians, this should be the touchstone of our thought on pretty much every topic. We should be looking to uh, Scripture to give us um, the principles and, and insight into what um, God has, uh, God's plan is for how we think about these things. That's not to say that we can't look at other sources. Uh, I mean, God has given wisdom to... Um, you know, common grace, people have wise principles that they apply, but our starting point ought to be um, be the Bible. And so with that in mind, we're going to use the biblical categories, um, to, or we're going to use biblical categories to approach this topic. You'll probably recall we discussed this a little bit with um, Keith's lessons on transgenderism, but um, we're going to look at the, the framework we're going to use to approach this topic of work and vocation is looking at um, creation, fall and rebellion, redemption and consummation. And the idea being that we look at how God, where did work fit in the created order at the beginning? So before sin has entered the equation, what did work look like? What was God's design for it? How has, how has sin and the brokenness of the world affected our work, um, because that's where we find ourselves. We're, we're in this category, 
and this category, right? So redemption is how does the gospel affect our work? How do we work differently, um, you know, than someone who's not a Christian that doesn't have this type of a framework to understand their work in? Um, and then ultimately we look forward to the consummation of God's promises to us. And, you know, we can anticipate that work is probably part of that too. Um, you know, that this is, uh, this is something that, um, kind of goes across all of these categories. Um, I'll also just fess up at the very beginning. I'm using Tim Keller's book, um, Every Good Endeavor as a, kind of helping with this framework. So if you uh, want to read more about it, he's he articulates it stuff much better than I do. Um, but this is the same framework that he, he used to, um, uses in his book. And there's other sources that I'm looking to as well, but um, I think that he's really good on this topic. <laughs> Everyone steals from someone, right? <laughs> um so, just to kind of wrap, wrap up the, the intro here, um, I'm going to quote Keller. And that's that Christians need to answer three questions. Why do you want to work? Or put differently, why do we need to work in order to lead a fulfilled life? So why is work something that we need? Why is work so hard? You know, why is it often fruitless, pointless, and difficult? And then how can we overcome the difficulties and find satisfaction in our work through the gospel? Um, so let's start by looking at the beginning. We're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis 1 and 2 this morning. Um, and I'm not going to read through the entire creation account, but there's a few things that I want to highlight. And um, I also don't intend for this to be a lecture. So if people have comments or questions, please interrupt me. Um, so the, if we turn to Genesis 1, the first thing we see there is in the beginning, God created. So we are presented with a God at work um, on the universe. Um, creating a world is work. Uh, in Genesis 1, the power of God's work is undeniable. God speaks into existence, and step by step we see um the, his order of creation. Um, the first three of God's creative acts separate the formless chaos into the realms of heaven, water, and land. On day one, God creates light and separates it from darkness, forming day and night. On day two, he separates the waters and creates the sky. On the first part of day three, he separates the dry land from the sea. And all are essential to the survival of what, what follows. Next, God begins filling the realms that he's created. Um, on the remainder of day three, he creates plant life. On day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars in the sky. Um, and then on day five, God fills the water and sky with fish and birds. Finally, on day six, he creates the animals. And at the apex of creation, humanity um, to... Uh, rule over and populate the land. So I do want to read, starting in verse 26 um, through 31 of chapter 1. Does someone uh, want to volunteer to read that? Two 
God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So if we're thinking about the topic of work, what are some observations that stick out to you from that passage that Keith just read? The, the command to us is really representative of what God's already done. Right. So God's already demonstrated work, and then he's telling Adam and Eve to go continue in that work. What else? Um, he says he has satisfaction in his work. So it's good. Yep. Yeah, the work work is good. He delights in his work. That's important. What else? Given everything we need to accomplish the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's he's given us the tools to to do the work. Anything else? What? Yeah, there's order there. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. Another one that I that I think are important is that we see that God works relationally. Like even within the Trinity, you say um, earlier, um, well, no, it's in this passage, let us make man in, in our image. And then we have what Keith mentioned about the, the relationship to man in which man is continuing um, to work. Um you also see the relationship to rest and work. God limits his work, right? He, he doesn't, um, it's not unlimited work. There's a relationship um, to rest involved, or involved there. And then I think another thing that's important is we see God you know, modeling work is that we are, it's, we're told that we are made in his image. So, you know, we are to work not obviously, we don't have the same creative capacity that God does, but um, we are we are in His image, and we're to work in that way. Um, so that should help us have confidence in our in our work and in our callings uh, to work. Um, I, I think it's important not to uh, overlook the significance of having a God that works versus you know other religions that have kind of a passive idea of God that is not involved with his, with, with, um, the world. Um, Lee Hart, Lee Hardy has a book, um, can't remember the name of it, I think Fabric of the World. Um, and he talks about how, um, Calvin wrote about resisting this idea of a passive God. Um, he writes, Calvin vigorously rejected this pagan philosophical concept of the divine, along with any Christian adaptations of it, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Calvin insists is not an empty, um, idle, and unconscious start or uh, figure that the sophists imagine, but a watchful, effective, active sort engaged in ceaseless activity. It follows on Calvin's view that we express the image of God within us and we become the most godlike when we turn away from, not when we turn away from action, but when we engage in it. For God is not the cold intellect of the pagan philosophers, but a full-fledged person actively engaged in introduction of this world. I think I got my quote off there. Is the creator and sustainer of the universe and the redeemer of the human race. And that when we shape and administer his creation to others and pursue his righteousness in the context of human society, we express something about his nature in our lives. So I I think it's important that we realize that we have a God that is at work. And, um, you know, one of the things we'll kind of get into is that it's very common for us to have um, a view that either elevates work as our primary purpose in life, or work views work as just a necessary evil that we have to suffer through and get through um, in order to, you know, make ends meet. And um, you know, clearly, that's not what God um, is portraying, you know, at, at, in creation or in, in Scripture. Obviously, there's a lot as we in later week. Next week, we'll talk about the effects of sin on our work. Um, Things do get difficult. They get hard. There are thorns and thistles involved in our work. Um, But um, God's design for work is that it's good. Um, And that's a unique perspective that that we should have on work. And um, we see God demonstrate this not just in creation, but he, you know, if we, as you move past um, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we see God's works that are, uh, you know, typically categorized as his providence, as him um, providing for his creation. So if someone wants to pull up Psalm 104 and Psalm 145, we're going to read a couple passages from those chapters. So in 104, we're going to read verses 10 through 22. And then 145 will be verse 14 through 16. He makes springs gush forth in the valley, they flow through the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, the wild donkeys quench the turkey. The silent birds of the heavens dwell, they sing in the branches. Their lofty abode in water the mountains, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of the world. He caused the grass to grow for the livestock, plants for man to cultivate. He may bring forth food to the earth, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen his heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, cedars of Lebanon will be planted. And then the birds shall build their nests, the stork has a home to the bird. High mountains are the wild goats, the rocks are refuge of the rock ashes. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows its time for setting. He made darkness and night, and all the beasts of the forest creep about. 
The young lion roared from his prey to see the beast divide. When the sun rises, they steal away and have to lie down in the Dan goes out to work and his labor before he rests. And then Psalm 145, 14 through 16. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them your food in due season. You open your hands, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So here we see just the what's shown to us about God as a God that is interacting with creation, sustaining it, providing for it, not some just passive um, person sitting up in heaven and, you know, seeing what what we're all going to do. Um, and I think that's um, it's important to think about when we think about how God has modeled, you know, work for us. Um, Martin Luther commented on Psalm 145, that God feeds every living thing, like it says there, but that he does that through the work of farmers and laborers. So he's using us um, in his acts of providence um, to provide. Yeah. Sure. It seems to me that there's a lot of simplicity in the Genesis passage, and in here we're talking agricultural. And I think for most of mankind it was a simple kind of existence in comparison. And God told Adam exactly what to do. And when I was first trying to get into the workforce, I had no clue. God didn't tell me to go out and take care of a garden. And so I think the complexity we have today sort of muddies some of this, the simplicity we're talking sure. about. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I have difficulty because I could probably enjoy a life like this better. <laughs> That that's very fair. Yeah, <laughs> that that's fair. I, I think that that's where it's helpful to understand, you know, the principles that we have here, and then when we talk about the the curse that comes with sin, um, I, I think it's easy for. I mean, I've worked on a farm, um, you know, and it's very easy to kind of have a. I'm not saying you're saying it's an idyllic existence, but. Um, you know, thorns and thistles are a very real thing on a farm. Um, you're dealing with toil um, that was not present in the same way um, that it was, you know, in the Garden of Eden. Um, and so uh, I, I agree that I think, you know, as the economy's gotten more complex and we don't see maybe the exact analogy of our job, you know, in Scripture, um, but the principles obviously are still still apply to us. And that's well, I think it's important for us to think through these types of things and uh, figure it out so that we can have a, a view of our work that it reflects what God has um, shown in Scripture. No, so go back to original question. I think to cover one of the things is, and maybe it's more prevalent in Vegas, but it's really everywhere. Some, some jobs, like say entertainment jobs, are kind of hard to say. Am I cultivating the earth? Am I doing good? <laughs> Um, and that, that would be the question we need to answer. It does get complex. Yeah. Tim? You may be getting to this, and if you are, I'll be fine. But the whole uh, idea of cultivating the earth, the idea that God can put in creation itself everything, it, it's not handed to us on a platter, it's to be developed. So therefore, the creation cultural mandate 
has to do with technology. It has to do with the most sophisticated work in the whole universe. We were put here to turn the garden into a city. Yeah. Uh, of course, sin has interrupted that. But it's not just agrarian. It is that, and it was that in the beginning. But it, it carries with it. Uh, I did a paper in seminary on it, in which you look at the Hebrew verbs, and it's as if God has packed into the order of creation everything good that we are to take and develop and bring it into fruition and form. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the myth. Yeah. I love that because it, in Revelation, uh, it, at the consummation, it's not a garden that comes out of heaven, it's a city. And mm -hmm. it, it's not a restoration of Eden, it's uh, the renewal of creation for its ultimate purpose. Yeah. Those are great, great points. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about cultivation as we get a little further into the, the lesson. Um, so what we have in the garden, just to kind of tie up this, this part of it, is a God who models work in human beings working in an ordered cycle of work and rest. Um, and you know this is in sharp contrast to a lot of attitudes about work that we have ourselves or encounter on a daily basis. Um, you know, thinking of work, like I've already said, work is a necessary evil, or the idea of, you know, just working for the weekend, you're just trying to get to, you know, that that place of leisure as being the goal. Um, so while brokenness undeniably affects our work, making it difficult and hard, our attitude towards work should be different, different than those in the world. Um, but even in the world, we can see how work is an important and necessary thing. Um, you know, you see anecdotally when people are, um, you know, underemployed or um, out of a job and the lack of purpose or kind of the, the, the hole in them that they feel because they're not being useful. Um, that's something that's very real, and it's. I think that's because that's the way that God made us. He made us to work. I, I know my uh, my grandfather retired um, very young. He was, I think, in his like probably forties, late forties, early fifties, and just could not stand not doing something. So he bought an eighty-acre farm, and that cost him money to run. Like it was, he was not making any money off of his farm just to have that thing to do to fulfill that urge to, you know, be productive and, and do something useful. So. Going back to how we were made in God's image and see God's example of six days of work, one day of rest. Another thing that Tim Keller talked about in that trophy is we have the capacity to do more work than any other thing. I mean, if you were on vacation week after week after week, you'd feel crazy. Or, you know, but we really do have the capacity to work. You know, we do have to rest, obviously, but God has given us that ability to do this work probably more than... Right. Yeah, no, that's a, a great point. So, um, let's see, to quote Keller, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine for... Or medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. And um, 
like I already said, we typically see one of two extremes in our culture. It's either a bad thing that we seek, we should seek to avoid, or it's something that we equate with our identity and purpose and can probably be properly uh, understood as an idolatry of work. Um, and we'll get into uh, more of that later, but uh, I think that these passages in Genesis help show us that neither of those two views um, is right. For the Christian, we should not view our work as bad, um, but neither should we look at for it as our sole purpose. Uh, work serves our true purpose, uh, which is to glorify God. So I think one of the other lessons that we can take from these passages is the that work has an inherent dignity um, given to it by God. Um, of all of God's creation, only man is given an office, a vocation, something to do other than just fill the earth. Um, the rest of creation is commanded to team and reproduce, but man is commanded to have dominion and subdue. And one of the things that is um, another common thing that we see in the world is this idea of certain jobs being more inherently valuable than other jobs. So, um, you know, that it's, you know, work involving menial labor or, um, you know, Things that, I mean, in our society, we elevate like knowledge type work, right? So I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer. I have a, a knowledge class job that is very valued by society. But, you know, my work is not inherently, um, you know, any different in terms of its dignity than the gardener, you know? And that is something that is, I think, unique to this worldview of work, that God, we have a God who works, he's given us work, and he does not distinguish in terms of, oh, this is good work, this is not as good work, you know, this, try to avoid doing this as much as you can. Um, and so that is something that is very countercultural to what the world values. Um, you know, the, we just see a, something different in the way that God describes work. And and we can look to um, the dignity that he has created in what we're doing. Um, it also points to the fact that the material world matters. Um, that this world that God has created is something worth working in, something cultivating, something, um, you know, building. And um, for... As Christians, we look forward to the renewal of creation in the consummation that we will see at the um, when Jesus returns. And um, so I think that's another thing, that we don't have this kind of uh, view that the material world is bad and only the, the, spir the quote, spiritual is, is good. We have a God that interacts with the material world, and we should have attitudes that reflect that, that... that uh, that the material is not bad. Um, and then that the other thing is the, uh, con the conflict that um, we've seen, you know, between the secular and the sacred. So this is, you know, a great debate over uh, history, you know, significant in the Reformation, is this idea of 
uh, vocation and the the Catholic Church's uh, position that they had taken, where you know the clergy were elevated, the monastic life, the contemplative life was of a high, like a more important, a, a better life than the you know just average you know Christian shoemaker, um, and we see that you know in the Reformation the reformers you know, pushed back against that because of, um, you know, the, the fact that the priesthood of, of all believers and um, that our work can be honoring to God um, in whatever we're doing. We don't need to be a priest or someone involved in, you know, full-time uh, church work in order to have um, value in our work. Um, so the last thing we'll hit on is touching on some of the stuff that, that Tim alluded to in terms of work as cultivation. Um, so I'll read Genesis 2, 15 through 22. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree that of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord formed, had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name, its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Um, and, you know, we read earlier uh, as well the, this, I guess, the specific language about um, taking dominion and subduing the earth. And, like Tim said, this command to fill the earth is more than just procreation. It's a the development of society and community. Uh, the use of the term subdue illustrates that God made a world to need work, even in its unadulterated form. So even without any brokenness, you know, he's created a world that needs work. Um, Keller writes, this pattern is found in all kinds of work. Farming takes the physical material of soil and seed and produces food. Music takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life. When we take the fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we push a broom and clean up a room, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when we take an uninformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject, when we teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, when we take simple materials and turn them into poignant work of art, we are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. 
So even now, we're essentially gardeners rearranging the raw material of God's creation um, as we do our work. And that can mean, again, I think that this is, we need to be careful not to apply this only to what we see as traditional forms of work. You know, people going into the office and, um, or, you know, going out to the farm or whatever it is. Um, this is, has application for us, you know, when we're caring for our children or when we're, um, you know, in retirement, when you, when you are doing things for others, when you're taking care of your home, um, all of those things, uh, this has application to us there. Um, again, I'll, I'll quote from Lee Hardy. Far from being of little or no spiritual account, then human work is charged with religious significance, which has been either wholly ignored or perverted by non-biblical attitudes toward work. In our work, we neither lower ourselves to the level of brutes nor make ourselves into self-glorifying gods. Rather, by working, we affirm our uniquely human position as God's representatives on this earth, as cultivators and stewards of the good gifts of his creation, which are destined for the benefit of all. So, kind of wrap up what we've talked about. Looking at you know this category, creation, and how that shows us what God's design for work is. We can see that work is good, that it's something that he designed to be part of our lives um, since the very beginning of time. Uh, we see that it has dignity, that we, we can um, have confidence in, in doing our work, um, and that we are cultivating, that we're continuing what God has already modeled for us, even in the first couple chapters of Genesis. So we should take... Uh, encouragement from that as we go about our work, thinking about how God has modeled this for us and what he's already told us about work. Now, obviously, um, I'm sure everyone's sitting here and like, that's a nice idea, but that's not the work that I experience. Um, and we'll get into that because the, the reality is, like I said, we're in, we're in these categories, right? So we have experienced the brokenness that has affected um, affected the world, and we'll go right back to Genesis, where we see you know thorns and thistles um, coming into the picture, and we deal with that you know every day um, in countless different ways. So, um, any comments or questions? Yeah. Uh, I believe the Bible is full of faith. Uh, my question is. There are two views when people think about the Genesis 1. Uh, some people say the one day is billions uh, of years. The other people, they say, it's 24 hours. So I think we must uh, fix the first problem correctly before you go further, further, rebellion, redemption. So what do you think about the uh, well, I think that, so your question is about the, um, the creation account. Are we, do we think that it's a literal six days or something else? And there are, I think, a few different acceptable views that are, that can be consistent with scripture. 
I mean, I personally think that it's most likely a six literal day creation, but I don't, I don't think that I'm not dogmatic about that. And really, for something like this, I don't know that it matters too much, right? Because what we see, what we're talking about is how God has presented himself through the story of creation, and particularly how he's presented himself as working on in creating and then sustaining and providing for his creation, and then giving man the task of, of continuing to work. And so whether you have a literal six-day uh, view or something else, um, you know, I know that we have, um, did Mark, did you do the lessons on the acceptable views in the PCA? On, I think you did a Sunday school on that, right? So if people want to go listen to Mark's Sunday school on that topic, that would be a great resource. Um, but I think that it's, it's important, uh, not that that's not a, an important question. I think it is an important question. But for our purposes today, um, I don't think it, that really matters because we're dealing with what, still what God has revealed about work in this passage. They go Mark and then Dave. One of the things, and I don't know if you're ever going to get there, is you know, when you're talking about work, uh, that may lead you away from attending church. How legitimate is a job like that? With the legitimacy, and I'm just talking about real-life examples, because we live in a 24-hour town. Mm-hmm. The people who said, well, yeah, I haven't been in church in three years because my job requires me to not be in church. Well, how would you counsel a person like that? Or someone who says, well, I got this job offer out in Timbuktu or wherever, and there is no church. And, you know, and how do you... How do you keep your balance really? You know, <clears throat> being able to go to church versus work and how... I'm going to kick that can down the road. Well, we'll talk about that. I mean, that's that's a real... Those are real issues that we all deal with. So um, I think it's important to think about those things and... And our priorities, having gospel priorities, um, even when it comes to our work. So, I was just going to say that uh, it's it's important to draw out that you, who are a literal six-day creationist, and Keller, who holds to a framework model, right. can both agree on this fourfold state of man behind us, and also the importance of work uh, in creation, um, and then following <coughs> afterwards. So. Um, we, we don't need to necessarily agree, agree on the finer points of Genesis 1 in order to understand the importance of work. Said it better than I did. <laughs> uh, on the work thing, should, shouldn't we as Christians look at work as a typology? Because the work is basically a visible demonstration of the invisible God who's basically um, saving mankind, creating. <coughs> you understand what I'm saying? That work, work, work for people who are not Christians has an endless point. Our point is, is that right. people in the world can't see God, but through our work, we're basically glorifying God as the purpose of God, what he wants to do, and that is to, the gospel throughout the whole world is the main purpose. But people can't see that invisible work, so only through the work of Christians do we demonstrate the character of God. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's accurate. Anything else? Yeah, Ed? Talking about how we value certain things over others. I remember a few years ago at my work, 
working on the office for 100 employees, and uh, people don't pay much attention to the cleaning clinic at the end of the day, but one year they change contracts and we'll open up that every day. We try to open up these bathrooms more clean, but some of them have such new appreciation. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's it's a real challenge for us to think about what you know Genesis tells us about work, for instance, um, when we get into our regular you know daily life. Like I you know I was not thinking about these categories this week when I was working, except for when I was preparing this lesson. I wasn't thinking as I was going to the office. You know, work is good. My work has dignity. You know, I'm cultivating. That's I was not thinking that. And, um, but we should, we should be thinking about those things more, um, because it will give us a better perspective on what we're doing and, and how we can glorify God through what we're doing on a, you know, day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah. Re- regarding dignity in all locations, it seems, there seems to be a direct correlation too between not only in nature, but also in the church, that without the, 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 the diversity and the unity, how would we function? Right. You know, so it's, again, an, an outcropping of God's, you know, uh, decree. Yeah. You can, you can look down on a, you know, trash collector if you want to, but if you, there's not somebody to collect the trash, yeah, he, then there's a real problem. So, yeah. Barb? I was reading this morning an email I got from an Indian pastor, and they have started seminars for lay people. And, much of the mindset was the fact that only the pastors and the prophet, that was his job, and they had a disconnect between their work and being a believer. And one of the pastors, I mean, one of the men quoted, I mean, I'm quoting him because he said after that seminar, he realized that his life was a pulpit. Mm-hmm. Not to stand and preach in the church, I mean, at, at work, but he had the understanding of his role now as a believer in the work. And we're talking many, many of these um, lay people that participate were a very menial work. Mm-hmm. They had a new mindset as they were being taught their role as layman. Yeah. Yeah, that's. That's great. Life is important that I like. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Scott, would you close us in prayer? Well, Shermaine, you had a comment? I was just going to say, I think it's nice to Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, no, I totally agree. I think that this is something that when we use the term work, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we work. Um, and that can be in school taking care of our homes, um, traditional workplace. Um, there's just lots of different ways, lots of different vocations, if you will, that we have. Um, and, um, you know, we don't just wear one hat in that regard. So, that's a good point. Will you close us in prayer, Scott? Our greatest heritage is free and awesome. Definitely, Father, Lord, be praised for allowing me to come here to uh, hear this uh, teaching on Work and the 
I would pray that our work would uh, reflect that in just in the minute details that we do, uh, the attitudes that we carry. Uh, may you be with us now, give us bless our time, prepare us as we go to the um, wonderful work of worshiping you and giving back what you love. We praise all this in Christ's name. Amen.